Well, good morning. Could I welcome you to the same field this morning? We're glad to see you. Still one or two gathering with us. We welcome you in the Lord's name. Uh, we're going to commence with 366. Uh, it says, I am redeemed, O oh, praise the Lord. I trust indeed you can say that uh, personally this morning, that indeed that you are redeemed and you can praise the Lord as we sing this together. 366.
Okay, thank you for singing that out so well. You know, it's wonderful to know we're redeemed, but it's even better to know that we're redeemed forevermore. And when so many things are changing, it's wonderful to know that we have these truths that are uh, forever settled in heaven. So let's uh, just pray together this morning. Our God and our Father, as we gather in your presence this morning, we do indeed thank you. Uh, that we are redeemed. We thank you, Lord, for so many in the gathering that can say that from their heart uh, this morning. And we thank you even, Lord, as just have been commenting, Lord, we thank you that we are indeed redeemed uh, forevermore. We thank you, Lord, for the, the price of redemption, Lord. We, we realize and acknowledge, Lord, there was no price that we could pay ourselves, Lord. There was no merit in us uh, to redeem us, Lord. But we thank you, Lord, that for one that was both able and willing to redeem us, and we thank you for our blessed Saviour, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that great price of redemption that was paid once and for all, the precious shed blood that was paid on Calvary, uh, bled on Calvary's cross. And Lord, we do thank you as we often quote, Lord, we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We thank you for that perfect lamb of God. We thank you for those words that were cried on the on the shore of Galilee, Lord, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that that's what he came to do. And we thank you, Lord, that is what he did on Calvary's cross. We thank you this morning that we can say, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Lord, so we thank you that our sins, which are many, have all been forgiven. And we thank you, Lord, that we stand accepted in that beloved one this morning. And Lord, we thank you indeed that that is our position this morning, Lord. We recognize, Lord, that uh, so often, Lord, our condition, Lord, just isn't what it should be. And Lord, we so often are fearful, Lord, we're anxious, we doubt, Lord, and we uh, maybe even have doubts about our salvation at times, Lord. But we thank you, Lord, that these things don't change, Lord, that we are saved and saved forevermore. And we pray this morning, Lord, for your people that are gathered together this morning. We pray again for them, Lord, that you, as you're, we sing these hymns, and, Lord, as your servant will open your word, Lord, you might minister into the needs of your people this morning. You know each and every one, Lord. We know some of the needs, Lord, but you know them all. And so we do pray to that end this morning, Lord, that by your spirit you might take your word and apply it to the hearts of all that are gathered in this morning. You know our needs, Lord. You know for those that need that rebuke, those that need the challenge, those that need the encouragement, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, indeed you can meet each and every one at their point of their need this morning. To that end, Lord, we do thank you for... Uh, Pastor Moore in our midst this morning, Lord. We thank you for uh, blessing him in our midst in the past, Lord. Particularly, we think of ministry meetings, Lord, and how you undertook there, Lord. And so we do pray for him this morning, Lord, afresh that he might know your help, Lord, as those things that you've given to him in the quiet place, Lord, as you've been before you, Lord, as he comes to the platform this morning, may come easily and readily to his mind, and may come as thus saith the Lord uh, this morning. We do thank you just for the boys and girls that are in this morning too. Already been in on Sunday school. We pray for all, even what's taken place already. But Lord, we just pray as again Paul will come and speak to them this morning. Lord, again, that you might just uh, challenge them. Lord, encourage those that are saved. And for those that would not be saved yet, Lord, you might speak to them, even draw them to yourself. Again, we thank you for our young people. Uh, and many have been in the Bible class. Some are beyond that, Lord. We just pray for them this morning. Again, Lord, that you might even minister to them and encourage them in their walk with you. 
you in these days. For those that can't be with us this morning, we commit them to you, Lord. Some shut in for many months, Lord, and those maybe just unwell today, Lord. But whatever the need is, Lord, we thank you that you can just meet with them in their home, Lord. Even those that have the opportunity of listening in online, you might even encourage them through the, the live stream. But those, Lord, are listening at a later date, or maybe those that won't have the opportunity at all, Lord, we do pray for them just this morning. And even where they are, Lord, that they might sense your presence and you might encourage them and help them uh, in these days and prove your grace to be sufficient to them, Lord. So we give you thanks now, Lord. We pray for the friends in Points Pass this morning as they gather up there. We pray for Pastor Kennedy as he'll minister to them. Again, you might bless them and encourage them and continue to bless the work up there in Points Pass, we pray. So, Lord, we look to you now, giving you thanks and committing our time to you in the Saviour's precious name. Amen. Well, boys and girls, good to have you with us this morning. If you want to come up to the front, and Paul's going to come and speak to you. Come on ahead, boys and girls. boys and girls it's lovely to see you out this Sunday morning thank you for coming up to the front again um, now I have a few wee notes here that I have to use I don't know if any of you noticed Victor Maxwell was here the last few weeks and I've never seen him look down at a note look anywhere and dear knows where my story would end up if I didn't look at my notes so hopefully you'll bear with me now I'm going to put a little picture up on the screen and I want somebody to tell me if they know where that is and it's not too far from here so does anybody know where it is? Yes? Hillsborough Castle. Hillsborough Castle. I think the gates give it away, don't they? Now we're, it's always on the news. There's always something going on. I think there was something there this week. All the politicians were there this week. Now, I was here on the 28th of March, just a few weeks ago, four weeks ago on Tuesday. And does anybody know why you would go to the castle? Why do you think you would go to, to Hillsborough Castle? Do you have any idea? Well, I'll tell you why I was there. I was there for an awards ceremony. There were some awards been given out. Now, the awards were nothing to do with me. I was just invited as a guest to go, and that's probably the closest I'll ever get to receiving an award at Hillsborough Castle. And I have the little, the little booklet they give us as we were going in. I tried to scan this, and it didn't come out the very good color, but it says on the front of it, you see, honors presentation, you can see it on the screen, in the throne room, and it's the Hillsborough Castle on Tuesday the 28th of March now inside here it gives you a list of all the people who are receiving awards and who was presenting them to them okay, now I had two people over there, they were Gillian's aunt and uncle and they were Mr. Derek Greenaway and Mrs. Rachel Greenaway who's often called Ray and they were getting an award for services to young people in Northern Ireland through the Boys Brigade, so that's why we were there now why would you need to go to the castle to receive this award? Why do you think you would go to the castle to receive your award? You any idea? Well, who stays at that castle when they're over here from London? Who do you think stays there? Yes, Mega? Yes, exactly. The royal family. So this is the, the, the castle is the official place for the royal family when they're in Northern Ireland. And the award that they were getting that day was the BEM, the British Empire Medal, and I think I have a little picture of the medal here. Okay? Now, when I looked up on the internet, I tried to find one with King Charles on it, because the medal that Derek and Ray got does have King Charles on it. You see this one says ER, so that was Elizabeth. 
the second, but unfortunately it was passed away last year, so it was on this now. But that's the exact same medal as they got, and you can see all the insignia on there. And it's uh, started in 1917 by King George V, and uh, it was given to civil and military for mili civil and military service, and it's a British and Commonwealth Award. Okay. Now, why did Ray and Derek get it? Now, he said they, they got it for recognition with the work with the BB. Now, they started the BB in Milltown Church in County Armagh, right on the shores of Loch Ney, right at the band foot. They call it 57 years ago in 1966. So that's a long time. And Derek is still the captain of the BB there. And every goes every week, and they run the BB there in Milltown. Now, I have a picture of Ray and Derek here receiving their award. And they were so chuffed. Now, the little watermark over this because we, I was just the official photographer. You weren't allowed to take pictures. And these are the pictures from his website. We haven't got them purchased yet. But. So you can see the Lord Lieutenant. You see the man in his nice uniform? And that's the, the royal family's representative. And he was from County Armagh. So each county in Northern Ireland has a representative from the royal family. And this is, the rep and this is Lord Lieutenant Hubert McAllister. Colonel Hubert McAllister. And he presented... Ray and Derek with their medal. And they were really chuffed to have received their medal. Now, Ray and Derek had to wait a long time for their medal and uh, to be received. As I said, they worked uh, from 1966, and Ray and Derek are both in their 80s now, so that was a long time. But they were absolutely chuffed to receive this recognition of their work with the BB. But that's not the end of the story for Ray and Derek, because they are also invited to Buckingham Palace to a garden party in May. So I was asked to book flights for them and to get hotel rooms booked, organize transport around London to and from the garden party, and I thought this was brilliant. Not only am I going to get to be invited to Hillsborough Castle, but I'm also, I meet the, the Lord Lieutenant, and I'm going to go and see uh, Ray and Derek going to the palace and going to the garden party and hopefully get to meet or see a member of the royal family. Wouldn't that be great? Well, unfortunately, Ray and Derek can only take one guest in, and that is not me. So I'm going. So at least I got to organize the flights, I got to organize the hotel, and I got to organize the transport, but I'm not going in. Any of you ever been to Buckingham Palace? No? Well, there's a little park outside Buckingham Palace called Green Park. And there's this little coffee van that sits down in the corner just outside the palace, and it has the best jam donuts and uh, caramel squares in the whole of London. So when I wave them off through the gates as they're going into the garden party, guess where I'm going after they do that? I'm going to get my jam donuts. But I hope they have a wonderful time there when they're in at having the garden and the garden party at the palace. Now, boys and girls, when I was thinking of Ray and Derek getting their award or recognition for their service. I started to think, does the Bible tell us anything about receiving rewards or recognition? Now, the Bible does tell us a few things about receiving rewards. In Corinthians 9, 14 to 27, the Apostle Paul talks about winning awards in life, and these could be awards in sport, so for the likes of running, boxing, or wrestling, it talks in the Bible, and sometimes there may only be one award. But these praises or rewards are corruptible. That means that in time they will disappear, boys and girls. And if it's flowers, they will soon wilt and die. And if it's metals, they will eventually corrode and decay. Now, but Paul tells, also tells us in Second Timothy, 
about an award, and it's a real outburst. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Fighting the good fight, that to me means that life can be very difficult, boys and girls. And many problems feel like that they are too impossible to get over. But if we trust in the Lord and lean on him at those difficult times, and you will come across them, you may not have come across them yet, believe me, you will come across them in your life. He will never forsake us or let us down. Also, boys and girls, also when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the God's greatest gift to us, and that was his son, Jesus. You know, I used this verse, I think, in my last children's talk. It was John 3:16. It's almost suitable for any little talk from the Bible. The best-known verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us on the cross. And he took our place that he, we may have eternal life for him. You know, Ray and Derek worked for 57 years with the BB, getting their award. And if you play sports, sometimes you have to come first, or you have to come in the top three to get a prize or get an award. But the greatest gift or prize we ever can have is Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives. All we have to do is believe in him. Not one of us can ever do enough to take away our own sins. But thank the Lord, his son did that all for us. So today, boys and girls, it's our prayer that you receive the gift of salvation from the Lord. And that is not corruptible. It will not die away, and you will have it forever. All right? Thank you for listening so well. Go back to your seats now. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. I was getting worried for a minute that I hadn't given you your full title and if you're coming up, Paul, but uh, sorry. Yeah, I'm sure it was a nice uh, day to be there. Again, can I welcome you this morning? We're glad to see you and trust indeed you'll uh, know the Lord's presence and blessing as we gather together this morning. A special welcome uh, to Pastor David Moore. It's good to have David back with us today. Uh, we've enjoyed fellowship with David in the past, particularly look back to the ministry meetings we had here a year or two back. And so we thank him uh, for coming along and taking our services today. The latter part of the service we have behind, remember the Lord Jesus and the breaking of bread. If you're saved and you're seeking to walk with him, we encourage you to be behind and remember him with us uh, this morning. Then around 6 o'clock is our time of prayer. 6.30 is our evening service. Uh, tonight will be a testimony meeting. Pastor David, he's going to share his testimony with us this evening. And the singer this evening is James Gailey. Then Tuesday night, 8 p.m., uh, it's a big night to the ladies, the ladies' uh, fellowship rally. Uh, the speaker of that is Vi Dawson. Again, encourage ladies, maybe don't normally go along to the ladies' fellowship. This would be a good night to go along. Encourage the other ladies, 8 o'clock on Tuesday evening. There's also there's still a list in the foyer. If maybe you can help with catering, have a look at that list this morning, please. Then Wednesday night, um, 8 p.m. is our midweek prayer meeting. We just meet for that time of prayer. The last uh, Wednesday each month we set aside for a time of prayer. So if you can come and join with us from around 8 to 9 on Wednesday nights, we look to the Lord. Uh, for his help in these days. Then Thursday, 10.30 in the morning, Tiny Tots, and then the evening at 8 p.m. we have an elders meeting. Uh, then next Sunday, 10.15, is the Sunday School and the Bible class. Serves 11.30 and 6.30, preceded by normal times of prayer, and the speaker expected all day is Pastor Lawrence Kennedy, and the singer expected next Sunday evening is Stephen Anderson. 
Also, after the Gospel service, the Youth Fellowship meet, and our brother Paul uh, Moore will be speaking to them uh, next Sunday evening, keeping Paul busy at the minute. He'll be speaking to the young people next Sunday evening. And just a few additional announcements, so I'm just looking a wee bit further ahead. Um, church, we're planning a church outing again uh, this year, particularly we've been doing just as a Sunday school organised their outing, uh, the church come together with them and that's planned for Saturday the 27th of May so you can put that date in your diaries and we'll give you more details uh, near the time also we're starting to think about our holiday Bible club and that's planned for Monday the 26th through to Friday the 30th of June uh, if you can help in that please add your name to a list in the foyer so there's a list in the foyer for that this morning I don't get mixed up between the catering one and the Holiday Bible Club. You can add your name to both, um, but um, there's, there's one there for the Holiday Bible Club this morning. I want to get as many involved as possible of all the ages. There's all types of roles, some up front roles, some in the background, so there's something for everybody. And again, maybe you can't commit every night, maybe just one or two nights. Will you add your name, and then the details can be sorted out any other time. If there's any questions in that, speak to Sharon Rice or Sharon Moore, and they would be happy to help you with that. Also, if you're planning maybe to take part in a summer team, you've maybe booked or you're planning to go away in a summer team, if you give details to that to John Reid, as a church, we want to be able to support you both prayerfully and practically. So again, if you give details to that to John, that would be appreciated. Also, in recent years, we have helped with soap bags for CEF in Romania. Uh, so those are being again collected this year. Uh, that's to help needy children and refugees in Romania who are attending summer camps. So the soap bags should contain toothbrush, toothpaste, soap, and face cloth, or you can simply give a gift towards that. So if you want to just put a gift in the box and mark it for that, then that will be passed on to that work as well. Then just one uh, final announcement this morning, just a wee note uh, from our sister Chrissy. On behalf of myself and the wider Donham family, we would like to express our appreciation to everyone associated with Samfield Baptist for their kindness and thoughtfulness over the last couple of weeks. Thank you to those who came to the funeral service, who visited the house, who expressed sympathy through cards and texts and in particular those who prayed for my dad and the rest of the family. Um, my dad uh, fought the good fight, finished the course. We've been thinking about that already this morning. My dad fought the good fight, finished the course, and kept the faith, and he is now in glory with his Saviour, who he loved, and that's from our sister, uh, Chrissy Donnell. I know you continue to pray for Chrissy, in particular her mum, in, in the days that lie. I think that's all the announcements this morning made subject uh, to the Lord's will. We're going to sing together again before David comes and ministers God's word. 501, Jesus, I am resting Resting in the joy of what thou art. 501, standing to sing, please.
Dublin. Very good morning. It's good to be with you again at St. Field. And of course, I bring greetings this morning from your friends at Points Pass Baptist Church. Always a joy to be here and to renew fellowship with you. Thank you for the very kind invitation to come. If you have your Bible with you, and I trust you do, we're in the book of Revelation to begin with, chapter 19, and we'll begin reading there from verse 7, and then also you might want to place a bookmark or something in Ephesians chapter 5, where we'll be going to in just a few moments. But we're going to begin reading in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 7. Revelation 19.7, which says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And then if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to begin reading here at verse 21. <coughs> Excuse me. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. Well, I don't know about you, but for my wife and I, this year is a year that is marked by weddings. We have six weddings that we have to attend this week. One is past, and we have five that are yet future. Uh, three are church weddings at which I'm officiating, and uh, two are family members, and one is a friend. So that means I've got a year ahead, and my wife and I have got a year ahead of preparing for weddings. And of course, for her, that means a whole year of dress buyings. So she's very happy. 
and it means for me a whole year of dress reviewings, which is not always so good, but I'll do my best uh, because I know she's going to buy these various dresses and outfits, try them on, and I have to make a decision as to which one she ought to wear, and of course she will take no heed to me whatsoever and wear whatever one she thinks is best. But we'll go through that drama as a couple, uh, as you do. And, uh, you know, I've uh, joked with some people at points past that in our 130-year history, uh, by the end of this year, I will have married more couples in that church than any other pastor in its history. And I thought I should be given some kind of certificate or an award. Maybe I should go to Hillsborough Castle and uh, get some kind of an award uh, for that. But there is another wedding to which we've all been invited and for which we certainly need to be ready. And that, of course, is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Scripture tells us that this marriage is imminent and that the groom is ready and the bride must be prepared. Of course, in all of this, there is allusion to the Jewish marriage rites. And if you understand Jewish weddings... Uh, What would happen is the groom and his father would make his way uh, towards the home of the bride and her father, and there there would be an arrangement and an agreement that this young couple should be married, a dowry would be paid, and uh, the groom would then uh, proceed with his father back to his own home. He would spend about a year building on the uh, property there, his father's property, or extending the father's house, in order that he would have a home to accommodate his new bride. And when the time came, he would then, without warning, return to his bride's dwelling and bring her back home to his place in a grand procession. Of course, the Lord Jesus references that in John chapter 14, when he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. So that's what he's doing right now. He is, as it were, extending the Father's house. Uh, He's preparing a place. He says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And so, John, thinking about this, and indeed in his vision of Revelation and of the marriage supper of the Lamb, says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. What a wonderful picture and prospect this is. Now, throughout Scripture, there are several couplets employed by the Spirit to express Christ's relationship with his church. He is referred to as the shepherd and we the sheep. He is the cornerstone and we the building. Uh, He's the vine and we're the branches. He's the high priest and of course we're privileged to enjoy the priesthood of all believers. He's the head and we're the body. He's the last Adam and we are the new creation. But of all the symbology employed to portray Christ in his church, Perhaps none is so telling as this one in which we're looking today of Christ and the, as the bridegroom and the church as his bride. You know, second to the day of our conversion, really for those of us who are married, 
Our wedding day should rate as the most important of days. It certainly ought to be in our minds the greatest of occasions as we reflect back and think about our lives. My wife and I uh, were married just there uh, at Christmas or just after Christmas. We, uh, we managed to get to 40 years. And uh, we uh, were very blessed to have lived and to have been able to share that time uh, together. And we rejoice. Uh, we went on holiday. We took ourselves off to Egypt and had a cruise down the Nile and had a nice time and patted ourselves on, our, on the backs uh, for managing to annoy each other so much over 40 years and still being together. So we praise the Lord uh, for that. But anyway, wonderful. Uh, what a wonderful gift that marriage is. And so, you know, in a wedding, you bring a young couple to the altar, and there they say their vows, and your hope is, and your prayer is, that having found each other, that they will remain faithful and loving to each other as partners uh, for, for life. And we know that that doesn't always work out that way. Sadly, sometimes there is marital breakdown, but certainly it is God's ideal that people should marry and remain married uh, for life. And this ideal is most comprehensively detailed for us in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, on almost every occasion that we come to this particular passage of Scripture, the focus is very often on the human relationship of husband and wife. But this morning I want to think about this from the perspective of a heavenly relationship. A relationship that was ordered in the mists of eternity, before the foundation of the earth was laid. To think of the love that is shared between Christ and his church. And I want to go back there to Ephesians chapter 5. And beginning in verse 21, I want you to see his love illustrated. It says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to her own husbands in everything. Now, two words dominate this particular tract of Scripture, the words submission and love. And how many preachers have I heard, and I'm sure you've heard, who've preached on this passage and have honed in on the necessity of a wife's submission to her husband. And sometimes, you know, that doesn't sit well with our, uh, our ladies. It may create a degree of resentment or rebellion in the heart that that's always the, the focus that is given to this particular passage. But I want you to notice, ever before Paul touches on the woman's submission to her husband, he says in verse 21 that we're to be submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. So it begins with a mutual submission. Submission is not a one-way street in marriage. You know, I love what he says there in verse 28. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And I certainly live by that old adage, happy wife, happy life. And so I, I do my best to keep my wife happy. I meet her needs as best I can. I, I try to give her as pleasant a life as I can possibly give her. I submit myself to her in the fear of God, and I trust that she submits herself to my leadership as I seek to head up 
our home. And that's how a marriage is supposed uh, to work. But here we see in, in, in context with respect to Christ in the church, that Christ has humbled himself and he has taken on human flesh and he submits himself to the cross and to the death of the cross for the good of the church. And the church in turn is called upon to submit ourselves unto him, to humble ourselves and be obedient to his word. Christ loves the church. I want you to get this, friends. I'm a local church man. I believe that the local church should have primacy. I believe a local church should have primacy over any parachurch organization that competes for, it, for our attention. Christ loved the church, and the church is to reciprocate by loving him in return. Friend, I wonder today, can I ask you, do you love the Lord? And I'm not asking that of unbelievers. I'm asking that of you as a Christian, because here is Paul, and he's writing to this Ephesian church, and later on in the book of Revelation, John conveys the words of the Lord Jesus to this very same church, and of course, the concern of the Lord is the state of their heart. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And how easy it is for us as believers to leave our first love, to leave behind the flush of, of first love and to, and to get into the humdrum and the mundanity of the Christian life as it were and just to do things through duty and to serve out of duty and not to serve out of a heart of love. It's so easy to come into church on a Sunday morning and just go through the program. You know which hymns are coming and, and when the children's talk is going to be and when the speaker's going to speak and what time you expect to get out at and all of that. And it's very easy to fall into a route, isn't it? To go through rituals. And forget that this gathering is a, is a declaration of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And our service is a declaration of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder, have you left your first love? Do you love the Lord this morning like you loved him when you first met him? When he first saved you? When you were so excited about sins forgiven and heaven as your home? I, 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 can you look back over your life and say, I love the Lord even more now than I did then. Now here the love for Christ for the church has been likened to the love of a husband for his bride. And it presents Christ's love in, in two ways. First of all, I want you to see he's protective in his love. And then I want you to see he is passionate in his love. He's protective in his love. Notice what it says. Christ is the head of the church. That's what we just read there. Right there in verse 23. Christ is the head of the church. That indicates something of his protection of the church. A number of years ago, uh, on my birthday, I had a dental appointment. And I had to go and have a, a bridge fitted. And I went and had that done. And my wife <clears throat> said to me afterwards, why don't we have a, have a lunch together? I'll take you to lunch for your birthday and we'll celebrate your lunch. And I thought that was a good idea. So I went to the dentist and had the work done. It cost me about 200 pounds, as I recall. And uh, we went to lunch, had a very nice lunch. That was all going well. And uh, we stepped out into the car park of the restaurant where we had lunch. And there were a group of boys, there was a group of boys, about 
five or six boys, maybe 15 years of age, and they were Protestant boys, and they were giving a beating to one Catholic boy out in the car park. And they were really going at him, hammer and tong. And uh, my wife saw this. My wife has missed her calling. She should be involved in law enforcement or something. But anyway, she, she saw this, and she said to me, without even a batting an eyelid, she says, David, you need to go over there and sort them out. Now, my first thought was, I've just spent £200 on dental work. And I could see, you know, a rogue punch coming in. And me ending up back at the dentist and having to repay for all of this work to be done. So I said to her, I'll tell you what, why don't I call the police? And we'll get the police to deal with it. And before I could finish that sentence, she was halfway across the, the car park going to sort this out. And that's when I realized I had to intervene. And so I ran ahead of her. And I pulled the boys apart and you know, shouted at them and told them to, to leave the lad alone. And they all, they all stood up and they duly obeyed. They recognized my authority and seniority. And they duly obeyed. And they stood there for a moment or two. And I said to the young Catholic fellow who was you know, bruised and, and scraped and his hair was all over the place, his school uniform was all over the place. And I said to this young Roman Catholic fellow, now you get on home. And he took about 10 or 12 steps and he turned around to the Protestant boys and he said, come on. And they all went at him a second time. I thought, oh, you're that stupid, you probably deserve a hiding. But uh, anyway, they all went at him. And thankfully, the police at this point did come into the car park. And I presume brought the whole thing to an end. But here's the, here's the deal. When my wife was running across that car park to intervene in this fight, I was now duty-bound to protect her. The husband is the head of the wife. I'm now duty-bound to be involved. This has become personal uh, for me. And I want you to understand this morning that the Lord loves us and is our protector in a personal way. The Bible says, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thy trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. The psalmist writes, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. And again, in Psalm 18, we read these words, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I trust. My friends, to be the head of something is to have responsibility for it. If you're the head of your home, you have responsibility for your home. If you're the head of your wife, you have the responsibility for your wife. And Christ is the head of the church. The church is his idea, his creation, his love. And he has the care of it. Remember, he says to his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But his love is not only protective, it's passionate. You see, the Bible says he's the savior of the body. Not only is he the defender of the church, but he's the deliverer of the church. The church is his passion, his first love, his delight. And I, let me say this to you this morning, friends. You know, we have to be overly careful about being uh, critical uh, uh, we have to be careful sorry, about being overly critical of Christ's church. 
You know, I look on social media sometime and I, and I see Christians constantly harping at the church, you know, chipping away, criticizing the church. The church is this, the church is that. Oh, the church isn't up to standard. The church isn't doing the job. The church is falling, you know, and on and on it goes. There are professing Christians, it seems, who've barely got a good word to say for the church of God. But remember this, the church is Christ's bride. The church is Christ's bride. You know, there's many things about me that you may freely criticize, and I won't worry about it one iota. You know, you might criticize my, uh, my suit or my hairstyle or my tie. That won't bother me one little bit. You may criticize my sermon. You might go out there here today and say, that's the worst sermon I've ever heard. You know, what can I do about that? I won't lose any sleep over it. I can guarantee you that. You know, you may criticize my choice of football team or something like that. Fine. But if you criticize my wife, then it becomes personal. You see, she's my love. And even if the criticism may be somewhat warranted, even if there's a justification for your observation and criticism, I personally don't really care to hear it, and certainly I will not enter into it. I'll not join you with it. And I think that's how Christ feels about his bride. Sometimes he sees us nipping at each other. Sometimes he sees us highly critical of the church. And yet with all, this church, our churches, are his bride. And we see that in the very next verse. Notice how his love is demonstrated in verse 25. If it's illustrated in verses 21 to 24, it's demonstrated in verse 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the blood. Isn't that a, by the word, sorry, isn't that a beautiful piece of scripture? You know, there are several truths in this passage that are, that are pertinent to us with respect to the love of Christ for his church. First of all, we see his love for the church is unconditional. He gave himself for it. That's a one-sided act. He gave himself for it. We gave nothing for it. We gave nothing for him. We brought nothing to him. Indeed, if we contributed anything to our salvation story, it was our sin and our shame which he bore upon his own person on the cross. He gave himself for it. We have brought nothing of value, nothing of worth, nothing of merit to this arrangement. The Bible says that God commendeth his love. He showed his love. He manifested his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we see that his love for the church is absolutely unconditional. And then we see his love for the church is unbounded. It knows no end. You know, I came across a survey some time back in which 20,000 people were surveyed of which 4% said that they would be willing to give up a a body part in order to see their team win the World Cup. Can you imagine such a thing? I mean, that's pretty fanatical. You know, I wonder, would you be willing to give up a leg to see Northern Ireland win the World Cup? As unrealistically as, as as unrealistic as that is. 
Would you be willing to lose an eye? Would you be willing to lose a hand or an arm? You know, for somebody to take that position is pretty fanatical, and it says something about their passion for that game. But Jesus didn't give up a body part for the church. He gave up his body. In a few moments, we'll gather at the Lord's Supper, and we'll remember those words, this is my body which is broken for you. He gave his whole person. Dr. Harry Aaron said, he used to tell the story of a young man who had uh, taken to himself a very beautiful young bride. And he was so taken with her, he came to Pastor Ironside's study one day and he said, Brother Ironside, I want your help. I'm in an awful state. I'm, I'm dri- I fear I'm drifting into idolatry. And Ironside said, well, what's the trouble? He said, well, I'm afraid that I'm putting my wife on too high a a pedestal. I'm afraid that I love her too much. And in loving her so much, I'm displeasing the Lord. Are you indeed, said Ironside. He said, do you love her more than Christ loved the church? He says, I don't think I do. He said, well, that's the limit. For we read, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And telling the story, Aaron said then, adds, you cannot get beyond that. There's no greater love than that. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And that is a truth. The Lord's love for his people is absolutely unbounded. I want you to understand today that you are completely encompassed as the church of God in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do that will change that. His love for the church is unfathomable. Look in verse 32. Paul calls it a great mystery. This is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, in theological terms, a mystery is a truth that is revealed in the New Testament that was concealed in the Old Testament. But nonetheless, this is a mystery that Christ should love us so. Love us when we were the enemies of God. Love us despite our disobedience and our personal rebellion. Love us even though in truth, as we reflect upon our past lives, we see now that we actually hated him. And now we love him only because he first loved us. And I don't know about you, but I think that's a hard thing to get your head around sometimes. The Lord will love me, me of all people. How could the Lord really love a fellow like me? You know, tonight, Lord willing, I'll have the privilege of sharing my testimony from this pulpit. And and even now, as I think even about that exercise, and I reflect upon my life and where I was, I think, how could the Lord love me? But he did, and he does. And his love for the church is unfathomable. And his love for the church is unmerited. He gave, listen, himself for it. 
inherited, inherent in that phrase is the idea of a gift. And for a gift to be a gift, it must by nature be undeserved. Now, of course, this is the message of Paul's epistle right here in Ephesians chapter 2, where he reminds us that salvation is by the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And his love for the church is unequaled. Solomon puts it this way. He brought me into the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. You know, there's a wonderful section at the tail of Romans chapter 8, verse 35, and Paul asks this question, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What a question. Who's going to do it? What is going to do it? What is going to detach you? from the love that Christ has for his church. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love for us is absolutely unequaled. His love is illustrated. His love is demonstrated But then we get to verse 27. We find in Ephesians chapter 5, his love is consummated. It says that he might present it, the church to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You know, right now at this point in our experience, Though the church is termed as the bride of Christ, we're presently espoused to Christ. We're engaged to Christ, if you like. We're waiting for him to come for his bride. We're waiting for him to appear and to take us to his uh, home. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, Paul says, uh, says this uh, in verse 2, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband. You're engaged to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But as our opening text reminds us that someday an actual marriage is going to take place. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And after the marriage, what happens? Well, then you enjoy the honeymoon period. There comes a time of togetherness and of intimacy. I wonder, do you recall the honeymoon period in your life if you're a married person? You know, for most people, the honeymoon period is dominated by that flush of first love. And uh, you can often spot a, a honeymooning couple just about anywhere. I remember when my wife and I were on honeymoon, we went to Edinburgh in December, which I don't recommend, but we went to Edinburgh in December, 
Uh, people go to the Maldives and that kind of place now, but back then that's where you went. Uh, and so we went to Edinburgh. It was freezing cold, I remember that. And uh, one evening, I can't remember what we'd done, we'd gone to the zoo or something, and that evening uh, we went over to the Debenhams department store. There was a little cafe there in that store, I'm not sure if it's still there, and it had a grand window that sat uh, with a lovely view of uh, Edinburgh Castle uh, at night time. It was all lit up and it was very nice. And I remember my wife and I were sitting there just enjoying a meal, and uh, one of the ladies came over uh, from the Debenham staff and she said to us, are you two on honeymoon? You say, well, how does she know? We weren't wearing a t-shirt that said we were on honeymoon. But I guess she just knew by our body language, by our faces, by the joy that we were experiencing in each other's company. You know, friends, that's how it ought to be with the Lord Jesus. And people ought to see that we're absolutely in love with him. That he's the only thing that matters. That we only have eyes for him. You know, when we see Jesus, he will see us. He will view us. And I love this, without spot or wrinkle. You know, the word spot refers to those imperfections that are from without. Have you ever noticed that someone has a, a spot or a blemish of some kind on their face your eyes hone in on that, don't they? If somebody has a big boil on their chin or their nose or something, you try your best not to look at it, don't you? But somehow or other, your eyes are just drawn into it. Or if somebody uh, you know, has a, a gravy spot on their tie or their shirt, again, your eyes will just catch that spot. That's, that's human nature. And isn't that how it is with the church in this world? Because for all of the sincere and godly people uh, who, are, who are genuinely born-again people, who are seeking to live for the Lord, and, and in my many years of, of being a Christian, that's the vast bulk of the people who make up the church. For all of those people, the truth of the matter is that it is the spots on the church that get the attention. Say, what do you mean? I mean, those in our number who are perhaps intemperate, or those who behave immorally, or those who are unbalanced, or those who, uh, who are hypocritical, or those who are dishonest in their business. Those are the people who get the attention. That's why our worldly friends will say things like, well, I would go to the church if it wasn't for, and they'll point to an individual or an incident that highlights that very spot. They say, well, I would be a part of that church if it wasn't for that spot on your record, if it wasn't for that blemish on your testimony. But when the Lord calls us to his side, we will be without spot. I love that. Without spot and without wrinkle. If a spot speaks of that which stains us from without, then the wrinkle refers to that which comes from within. I was laughing the other day. I caught an advertisement on television. I'm I think it was for some kind of aging cream or something, and they referred to wrinkles as smile lines. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's an interesting way of putting it. You don't have wrinkles now because you're old. You have smile lines. Does that make you feel better? But sometimes they're not just smile lines. Sometimes they're lines that are created by sorrow or anger or other emotions. 
But whatever way you look at it, those lines are a glimpse of the old man, of where you've been, of what you've experienced, and your old ways. Friends, when we come before the Lord Jesus, all of those wrinkles will disappear. Not a spot, not a wrinkle. And that brings us full circle because it brings us right back to that opening text in Revelation 19. Let us be glad and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And then I love verse 8. It says that to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine, clean, fine linen, clean and white, and then this line is added, which is an interesting line. It says, for the fine line is the righteousness of saints. And in the Greek language, that's a plural word, righteousness. So it says that the fine linen is the righteousnesses of saints. Not that we're saved by our works. That is never going to happen. But it is an indication that our works are to be rewarded and the Lord will indeed view us and our works and see us without spot and blemish and respond in love and embrace us accordingly. So as, as he appears, as he comes, the marriage is consummated and the eternal honeymoon begins. And get this, Christ finds nothing wrong with his people. And that's not to say we're not sinful. It's not to say that we're yet perfect. But it's to say that we will be someday. The story is told about the wife of one of King Cyrus's generals who was charged with treachery against the king. She was called before Cyrus and after the trial she was condemned to die. Upon hearing her condemnation, her husband hurried before the king. He threw himself down at, her, at his feet and he said, O sire, take my life instead of hers. Let me die in her place. And Cyrus was so touched by that that he said, Love like that must never be spoiled by death. And he gave them back to each other and let the wife go free. As they walked happily away, the husband said to his wife, did you notice how kindly the king looked upon us when he gave you a free pardon? To which she replied, I had no eyes for the king. I saw only the man who was willing to die for me. That's how it will be, friend, for the bride, the church, when we see our Jesus coming as our bridegroom. We'll only have eyes for him. And so that really makes a lot of times the silliness that goes on in churches, the foolishness that sometimes goes on in churches, you know, the foolish fights that we get involved in, the petty criticisms, the trivial complaints that we level one against another. It makes all of it peel into insignificance when we think about seeing Jesus. Friends, I want you to understand this morning you and I are part of the greatest institution upon the earth. We're loved beyond measure. We're loved without condition. We're loved for all eternity. We're loved by heaven's very best. We're loved 
by the one who gave himself for us. We are a tremendously privileged and blessed people. Someday, our groom is coming for us. Until that day, let us make ourselves ready and watch out for his upward call. May God bless these thoughts to your hearts this morning. We're going to rise together and sing our closing hymn. If you're using the hymn book, it's number 482. shall we? Father in heaven, we come before thee this morning, and Lord, we are so grateful today for the church of God. We're so grateful that as a church, this church and every church the world over is loved of thee. Everywhere where your name is proclaimed in truth and honor, Every single assembly of your people is the subject of your love. And Father, we're grateful today to be part of the bride. We're grateful today to be counted among the redeemed. We're so glad to be the sheep of your pasture. And Lord, we're so thankful that someday the skies will brighten and the trumpet will sound and our groom will appear and call us to his side and take us to that heavenly home that he has been preparing for us. Lord, help us to leave this place with gladness and hope in our heart concerning the church of Jesus Christ. 
Help us to be thrilled that we are part of it. Help us to rejoice in your grace and goodness to us in joining us to it. And Lord, help us to serve thee by serving thy church and, and being a minister one to another. We ask, Father, that you would just bless every head bowed here today and every home that's represented. And you'll ask, help each one of us to ask that question, well, um, have I left my first love? Father, help us today. Help us to walk worthy of thee. Help us to walk in a way that is pleasing unto thee. Help us to walk in a way that brings glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, in a few moments we will gather around thy table. We ask, Lord, that even there you will remind us afresh of the great sacrifice that our Savior made for us. And for those who, for whatever reason, feel they cannot stay at this point in time, we pray, Lord, that you would just grant to them traveling mercies as they part company from us and head to their homes. Bring them back again, I pray, uh, Lord, that they might renew fellowship here at St. Faith. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.